Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 30 of Forbidden Technique Podcast, where today we're just going to be hitting a real quick recap on last night's UFC card, just since uh, next week's card is one that we think we might end up talking about for a while, we don't want to do a stupidly long episode, and this card kind of overperformed for a card that I was extremely negative about last week and didn't want to talk about at all. Yeah, the, the card didn't have that much to look at going into it, but it had some potential, and then almost every fight that could have turned out good turned out good, or was at least quick. Yeah, there was. it was um, entertaining, if nothing else. Um, but that all of that being said, still not necessarily a card that lends itself that well to analysis. Uh, it was kind of just a bunch of stuff that happened, but whatever we're going to talk about it, yeah, this one's going to be more so like a literal recap rather than post-fight analysis. Because what do you what do you say about some of these fights? Yeah, we we can just be like, oh yeah, this this guy got knocked out this way, haha. <laughs> that, that's that's the extent of some of the analysis for some of the fights, but we'll do our best. So that being said, uh, Alexander Volkov defeats Josinho Rosenstruck in the first round in a way that I don't know why nobody really seemed to actually put out there as a possibility. Um. Which is that he kind of just fucking dusted Rosenstruck. Um, despite my uh, sadness hedging in picking Rosenstruck by a stupid knockout in a fight that he was otherwise losing, um, all of the stuff that I said about Volkov just being tall and being consistent with output, working behind range tools and being reasonably responsible with his uh, range and positioning um, was just going to be bad for Jarzinho Rosenstruck who is not a particularly big heavyweight and uh, doesn't establish a takedown threat or proactively create counter opportunities despite being like ostensibly a counter puncher. So, you know, Volkov just kind of like kicked and jabbed him up from really far away for a little bit. And then uh, Rosenstruck tried to parry a kick to get a counter hook. And as soon as he thought he was like actually connecting, it was was clearly just like so mad about having to like get across this distance. He just started uh, just swinging the biggest, ugliest hooks you've ever seen. Just ate like a short right hand counter that kind of like put him on his shit and got him backed up against the cage. And Volkov just just fucking uh, just dusted him up against the cage. Just punched him a bunch of times. His mouthpiece fell out and he got dropped like three times. And then the fight got stopped, and uh, he was kind of fine. But if I hear anyone complaining about this stoppage, then uh, what the fuck do you want Herb Dean to do? This is the kind of stoppage I'd like to be seeing more of in MMA. It was fine. Thank you, Volkov, for saving us from this. what this fight could have been. Yeah, and also anyone that complains about the stoppage needs to go back and watch the Overeem Rosenstruck stoppage and think about why did the referee stop it? Yes, he knocked down Overeem. Uh, and, and it seemed like he, he was knocked out enough, but 
he also stood up instantly and Rosenstruck turned around and there was literally zero threat of, of Overeem eating a counter in the last five seconds because Rosenstruck turned around and walked to the middle of the cage and was celebrating while the fight was still on. So the referee could have left it to go the next five seconds and there would have been like one of the funniest walk-off fake KOs ever because he, he just would have lost after kind of throwing it away because he could have done one ground and pound shot to like seal the deal and make it a legit stoppage. So you, Rosenstruck was she's kind of do a, a fucky stoppage, and and that that was the stoppage that like launched Rosenstruck into this like top ten status that we can see at this point he probably shouldn't be in. Um, but he's an incredibly frustrating fighter, and at this point in his career, I don't really expect him to develop. So it's kind of just like uh, if you give him Augusto Sakai, he's gonna knock him out. If you give him someone better than that, then he probably isn't. He's either going to shit the bed and, and do nothing for five rounds like he did against Gon, or he's going to get knocked out in the first three minutes like he did against Nganu and Volkov. Yeah, or or just like, um, or just taken down and tepidly top game like he did against Curtis Blades and for most of that Alistair Overeem fight. So I don't know, maybe rebook that fight with him and March and Tybora. Because that's like a guy that he can beat, but also a guy that might just out-wrestle him pretty easily. And for Volkov, uh, just give him a bunch more mid-strikers here. Uh, the difference in his body language when he isn't concerned about a takedown threat is uh, astounding. And yeah, if you're going to be tentative and not establish threats against Volkov, then he's just he's going to hit you a bunch of times and you're going to fall over. Yeah, and, and like just a, another thing that was just kind of annoying about Rosenstruck's performance is that he looked so scared. Like he was taking way too many adjustment steps. Like they weren't even really adjustment steps. He was kind of just picking his feet up and then putting them back down, trying to give the illusion of being mobile, but he was just standing in the same place, like not sure of what to do with his feet. He kept trying to like parry with his rear hand and then chase the target with his left hand instead of punching where it was going to be. So he just looked really off the whole fight and, and d- like scared of the range that Volkov had. He also seemed kind of worried about the power threat, which I think is something to consider now that Rosenstroke's been knocked out a couple times. Because like his chin's definitely not awful, but it's not good enough to where he could have the game he has at heavyweight where he doesn't throw very much. Like he has to kind of go use his power to, to avoid other people's power, or else someone like uh, Volkov is just going to like bulldoze him immediately and in the shot that he hurt Rosenstruck with was like a, it was a really clean shot once he like just kind of pierced the guard with the right straight but that is kind of all it was it was just like a nice accurate shot from a heavyweight it wasn't like Volkov being a huge hitter or anything so Rosenstruck should he should be fighting out of the top 10 at least it's weird that he's, he's gotten so many main events and I'm kind of glad that he is probably leaving the main event scene the same way he entered, which is like a, a weird stoppage that's still kind of fair. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people seem to to miss the counter that Volkov landed in the big stupid exchange that preceded the actual finishing mm-hmm. sequence. So I think like, Rosenstreet was already kind of buzzed when he got hit with the, the big right hand up against the cage. Um, and I think... Yeah, the one that like dropped him against mm-hmm. the cage, almost. And uh, I think we also just saw the issue with like you're saying Rosenstruck someone who has to like go out there and more proactively put his power on people kind of saw the issue with that because uh, he has famously been terrified of leading 
And uh, as soon as he was forced to, he just doubled down on a big, stupid, ugly exchange that got him countered and then just kind of fucked up. So, like, yes, he definitely needs to actually, like, take more initiative in fights, but he would also need to develop technically in ways that I can't really anticipate happening at this point to actually do that in a way that's not just going to get him knocked out a bunch more times. So I don't know. I don't know what you do with Jazz in your Rosenstruck. If you look at his highlight reel, like it looks like he can knock people out proactively, but then you watch the full extent of his fights and see how much of an outlier each of the times he knocks someone out is. And then Evloev and Ige uh, went to decision. Evloev like kind of beat the shit out of Ige. Yeah, uh, they kind of had a a pretty competitive first round where Danny Ige was able to surprise Evloev a little bit just like with with his speed and the way he covers distance and can put combinations together. Um, but as the fight uh, started to go deeper, Evloev just uh, really got Danny Ige's timing, was timing his entries really well. Like running him onto stiff jabs, uh, fucked him up with a, a big counter flying knee. But uh, Danny Gay's chin is insane. And um, in the third round, when Evloev had kind of sold Danny Gay on the feet, he started really pressing a wrestling advantage and uh, just beating the shit out of Danny Gay with uh, great chain wrestling and top control. Solid performance. Uh, just went was more and more dominant as the fight went deeper and just uh, steadily broke Danny Gay down and beat him in every phase of the fight. Yeah, there's less to say about it than I wish there was, but it was just it was pretty cut and dry. Like Ige got hurt really bad by the first flying knee that landed. He didn't get like like ruined by it. It just kind of made him tentative for the rest of the fight to enter. And Danny Gay already has enough issues when entering. So it just kind of made him get fucked up by Evloev's like really nice jab, like rangy jab. And Evloev, it also opened up his kicking game that Ige kind of respected his power by that point. So he started like doing little body kicks occasionally. It, it We got to see a lot out of Evloev. Like it was definitely a promising performance. It just wasn't all that interesting to me. But great performance still. Like he's, he, I'm glad that he's doing good at featherweight. I was kind of worried he was going to be too small, but Ige is, uh, he's pretty small for featherweight, but he's not so small that beating him means nothing. So Evloev could definitely do some shit. Like uh, people were saying, he should fight Arlon Allen. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd, I, I'd be down for that fight. I'd also be down for Evloev versus like Giga Jakadze. Uh, also, I think Movsar Evloev versus Bryce Mitchell would be a really interesting one. That's actually probably the coolest one you can make. Yeah, right it, like, like matchup-wise, I think it's kind of the, 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 the most interesting one. And yeah, like Movsar Evloev is really coming into his own as a featherweight. He's uh, clearly grown into the weight class, looks good physically. Cardio look good. Yeah. And um, I probably sounded like I was a little down on Movsar Evloev just because, as I did say, he's the kind of fighter that I find difficult to assess because of how his game works. Um, but he is also just like a pretty good striker because you have to be a featherweight. I think I was saying that like maybe his, some of his uh, defensive moves uh, as a striker can be pretty rote, but at least he has kind of systematized defensive moves built into his offense, which a lot of MMA fighters just like don't have. So even if they can be a little rote, just 
having these things built in when you're throwing uh, it's uh, it's just good habits yeah it it seems like not that much to ask but it really is impressive anytime a guy will just consistently keep his hand up after leaving the exchange or you know just throw up a high guard if you recognize that he's out of position and like Iga was landing clean on him throughout the fight. Like even after the first round where most of his success fell off, he would still find a few good combos here and there. Like Evlev frames, like he posts with his lead arm too reliably. So he started getting cross countered a little bit, but you know, it, it's a mitigation move. Like it, it's okay to occasionally eat a shot behind the ear as long as you're like prepared for it. Yeah. That was another thing we saw is that uh, Evlev's also got a pretty fantastic chin and is credibly is incredibly composed and can kind of just no-sell uh, a lot of the clean shots that do land. Stanley gets definitely a respectable puncher. Um, kind of weird that we had less to say about this fight than the main event. <laughs> and then uh, Mike Trezano versus Lucas Almeida ended up being a pretty cool fight. I hadn't seen Lucas Almeida before, but this was a tale of left hooks. Um... In fact, the fight was mostly kind of just the guys uh, kind of just trading uh, jabs and low kicks from range. I mean, I'm, Mark Trezano kind of a bit more of a front kick and teep guy, whereas Lucas Almeida was do, doing more of the dirty combos. And it kind of just ended up being that um, anyone who actually committed to extending exchanges just ended up getting dropped with a left hook. I think in, in the first round, uh, Almeida got like, Stung by a left hook and then dropped by a knee. And then in the second round, Mike Trezano got dropped with a left hook, like, um, like, uh, rushing in with a big shift in combination. And then in the third round, um, they exchanged a left hook and Mike Trezano got finished from it. So, uh, a true left hook lover's delight. Yeah, it was probably the most exciting fight on the card. Yeah, it was, it was a banger. And left hooks were the reason for it. Uh, that being said, not that much to say about it. I think <laughs> I think Lucas Almeida looked good. He showed smart finishing instinct in the third because a lot of guys could have fumbled that. But, you know, Trezano also probably could have just tried to let Almeida up in the first round and had increase his, his chances of winning. There was a headbutt that um, it was kind of neither guy's fault, but it was more Trezano's fault, and he got the bad end of it. Because uh, he he was on his back, and then Almeida tried to go over and just get head pressure on the chest, and Trezano like lunged up trying to not let him establish that position, and accidentally just like got a really bad cut above his eye. And you mentioned it when we were talking earlier, but it's like the last place you want a cut if you're getting left hooked over and over. Yeah, and then uh, like Corinne Silva. <laughs> uh, yeah, Corinne Silva. Again, I don't know what you say about this fight. Um, a lot, a lot of these fights are yeah, just kind of uh, a bunch of empty space, and then so someone suddenly really just getting fucked up. And you uh, just towards the end of the first round, Karina Silva uh, caught Pollyanna Brentello with a big right hand and like kind of took her down. It, it was weird because like it, it, it was kind of like the uh, the Usman Masvidal shot where. She uh, ducked in for to shoot a double leg, uh, like following through from the right hand, but it looked like the right hand maybe just would have dropped Buentello anyway. And then she did a dash choke, so that was neat. Yeah, and then uh, before that, Ode Osborne knocked out uh, 
Zaruk Adeshev. Apparently a glory kickboxer. Yeah, and uh, Ode Osborne incorrectly stated that Adeshev was a glory champion in his post-fight because people don't do that much research on their opponents sometimes. And I mean, fuck it. Who's going to look it up? Yeah, it, it really... I didn't even have to look it up. I just knew it wasn't the like true so that's i'm like a rarity in that scenario you know like most people watching i'm like damn he just knocked out glory champ he said it in his post fight this guy's not going to be wrong so yeah it was smart to just flat out say something incorrect in your post fight but that's a strategy for for building an aura in mma just, say, just say things it's genius yeah sean strickland's been doing it for a while mm-hmm. uh zuruk Adeshev is not good defensively and his chin isn't great and he overextended doing a combination and then got counter right hook or like right overhanded yeah, was while Odie Osborne was southpaw. Yeah, pretty nice uh, pretty nice little fade back right hook because he was just getting a bit silly on a combination. Yeah, but and, and nice. that shot, it, it was a good knockdown, but then the finishing shots were like the part that made the KO for me because he, he put him out with the ground and pound shots. Oh yeah, those are always fun. Uh, Alonzo Menafield beat the fuck out of a guy with a fake record got really mad about it it was funny yeah it, it, it was uh, elbows from crucifix Alonzo started the fight taking him down in like the first 20 seconds like really easily it was kind of on him the fight was a little boring for like 3 minutes and then uh, his, his opponent like managed to stand up and Moserov was was like taunting and getting really aggressive and then he screamed like a primal roar and then got instantly double leg because it's a fucking fight. Stop yelling at your opponent and defend a double leg. And, and then he got finished pretty much immediately. And it pissed off Alonzo Menafield so much. And Alonzo Menafield is like a very gentle guy. He's got a very soft voice. So it's funny hearing him get angry about that because he, he screamed after the fight and then said, fuck you to the guy's like kind of knocked out body. Pretty out of character by Alonzo. Um, then an actually kind of good fight and uh, a pretty heartwarming result as well. Uh, Karolina Kowalkiewicz defeated Felice Herrick by second round submission and just looked the best she had looked in years. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of it is Felice Herrick uh, coming back from a long layoff and kind of not really having it in her anymore, but it really doesn't matter huh. because Karolina still, independent of that, looked the best she's looked. Like She, she didn't look tentative when Felice Herrick was landing the left hooks just like in their first fight, she didn't really like worry too much about Felice's offense because she kind of doesn't need to. Uh, and then on the ground, she, uh, Carolina looked the most composed she's looked ever. Like she's she's not like awful on the ground by any means. She's just normally not able to finish people. And even in the the finishing sequence where she was trying to get the choke, it was the ground and pound that got the work done because she's she's just like not good at finishing her naked chokes. She she had a lot of space there in in, in like weird ways. Just kind of like doesn't know how to finish off a Renekin choke, but Felice was pretty battered by that point. And uh, you could tell by the end of the first, she just didn't have the same will to win that Carolina had. And she kind of said as much in her post fight. But Carolina like fought really hard for the win. She was doing like really nice stuff, just kind of classic Carolina in some ways, but also she looked a lot stronger than usual. She just looked ready to fight. So. Very nice to see. Hopefully, she stays around the t- like the top or middle of the division for a little while longer. That'd be cool. Always happy to have her fighting. Yeah, and I said last week that I was really worried about <clears throat> where Carolina was at. Just didn't seem like she even really wanted to fight anymore. But she made some changes, had a great performance, and it clearly meant a lot to her to get this win. So good for her. 
Um, Joe Selecki defeated uh, Alex De Silva by decision uh, in a fight where Alex De Silva uh, kind of bopped Joe Selecki up a bit, but Joe Selecki uh, had a good chin and is really good at taking the back. I think didn't he get dropped by a left hook in like the first thirty seconds? This is a crazy card for lead hooks. Yeah, he got dropped really badly in like the first thirty seconds, and then he was just like ready to. Like he defended himself really well on the ground. Like Selecki's a, a very composed grappler, uh, and and he's willing to like sit out around on bottom to to compose himself. But then in the second round, Alex De Silva just kept like grabbing the gloves and sticking his toes in the fence. <coughs> so uh, they they took a, a point from him. So that round was arguably ten uh, seven, and then the third round, uh, De Silva kind of. Started fucking him up a little bit, but it was pretty narrow, so it was a 10-9, probably. So, it was a weird one where you could score that fight anywhere from, like, a draw to a win for Selecki. Yeah, it really seemed like De Silva um, just caught Selecki cold with that left hook because he was landing a lot of really clean counter right hands on him later in the fight that Selecki was just eating and no-selling just fine. Yeah, it definitely didn't seem like a chin issue. He just got caught cold, and Alex De Silva is one of the most explosive lightweights in in the division right now. It, it guaranteed in the first round at least because he he looked good in the third still, and he made some nice like tactical adjustments to kind of navigate the grappling threat. But it it just kind of wasn't enough, and just like he's composed enough on the feet and has a pretty pared down game where it's mostly just straights and left hooks. But that's all you need as long as you're varying the timing and and like the the range that you're throwing it at. So good performance by Selecki, and I, I don't think De Silva's stock went down any. Uh, Damon Damon Jackson was like a minus seven hundred favorite against Dan Argetta because they are, are at least two weight classes apart, and kind of just won easily for the first two rounds and got hurt in the third round. But Argetta had bad finishing instincts, so he was fine. Yeah, it had big like Charles Rosa versus. Uh, Guitar Hero, what what the Justin Janes had the, had the same energy as that fight where the guy that was like very clearly able to win in some regard just he just fumbled the shit out of it because he he's, he doesn't know how to how to finish someone on the feet. Uh, there was also shit talk going on between their corners. I don't really know what they were saying. That's just always funny to happen. And before that, Benoit Saint Denis. Rear naked choked uh, someone who was also making his lightweight debut in the UFC because they're both formerly welterweights, and it looked like Stoltz shouldn't be at lightweight because he just looked very skinny, kind of drawn out, and it didn't help him defend any wrestling at all. It seemed like he kind of wanted to go to lightweight so that he would just be fighting strikers, but instead he fought a guy that's generally a striker that just wrestled him kind of easily and then choked him. So not not that much to say about that one. Oh, uh, t- Tony Gravely uh, knocked out Johnny Munoz and uh, it kind of looked like he was just uh, going for, a, like like trying to grab an underhook and uh, Johnny Munoz dipped into it and kind of uppercut himself and got knocked out. Yeah, I'm not even sure if Gravely's hand was fully in a fist. He just It was just kind of like the timing was correct and uh, his opponent was in no position to eat a right hand right in the jaw. And then the ground and pound didn't even really finish him because it was kind of like grazing or, or like flat out missing. It's just just one of those ones where Tony Gravely is very explosive and Johnny Munoz doesn't have a great chin. So if 
sometimes just hitting someone's chin accidentally or like kind of intentionally because i i really can't tell if he was trying to hit him there or if he was just shooting in an underhook really explosive does it matter but that kind of adds to it that little yeah that, that mystery of not knowing exactly what happened kind of makes me enjoy it more um jeff molina kind of robbed flyweight junior dos santos but also it was it kind of doesn't matter it was a weird one and it was just kind of a close fight where Jeff Molina got hurt really bad at one point. Also, it was a left hook, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess one of the judges gave the the round to Jeff Molina still, even though he got hurt in the second. But that that was weird. Um, before that, Renat Fakhredinov, uh, decisioned Andreas Mikolitis. It was pretty standard. Renat did not look like a world beater or anything. He just looked perfectly serviceable at what he was trying to do he just kind of like like took him down got decent control positions tied up the arms well uh got grounded pound off when he saw the opportunity but didn't really push it too much and Mikulitis looked like Mikulitis. he looked slow and unprepared to handle someone that's actually like a physical threat on um, Aaron Aaron Blanchfield versus JJ Aldrich was kind of a banger yeah it was it was pretty good and it ended like somewhat quick uh jj aldrich was doing good shit with her jab you know as she always does nice counter punching yeah she, her range looked really nice she was just kind of trying to find straight shots uh as aaron blanchfield kind of overcommitted and squared her stance a lot she also kept but, going for the uh the head kick as aaron blanchfield was going to stand up one of my personal favorite moves yep uh, and and aaron blanchfield just kind of stayed in the fight until the until the finish like she she wasn't losing badly she just wasn't winning she was like finding a little bit of offense with kicks and uh occasionally landing on aldridge just because aldridge is really slow doesn't have very good defensive reactions her defense itself isn't that bad it's just her reaction speed's kind of slow so jader aldridge just got tagged at the end of exchanges at certain points but it wasn't uh it didn't look like Blanchfield was like taking over on the feet or anything, and then uh, a scramble ensued. Yeah, the finish kind of came out of nowhere when JJ Aldrich kind of just fell over because of like a just a weird collision where they both went for a knee. Um, and just yeah, as she went to stand up, uh, Aaron Blanchfield scooped up the neck and uh, pushed her to the cage to finish with a standing guillotine, which is pretty neat. Yeah, uh, I feel like I learned nothing about Aaron Blanchfield. Nope. And I feel like I learned nothing about J.J. Aldrich. Nope. It was just uh, a fight that was enjoyable to watch, but doesn't have that much, uh, like, doesn't have that much broad stuff to learn about. Yeah, that was this card. Yeah. And that was all of the fights. Um, I guess before we get out of here, we, we can talk about Town and Chai a little bit, because this was cool. Uh, Town and Chai put on a fucking clinic, as expected. Um, was very much the fight that we kind of said it was going to be not even just in a world talent shot is going to win because he's better at Muay Thai than Nicholas Larson. It's just displayed the benefits of just having um, tight and mechanically efficient footwork, not galloping around, doing a ton of L steps and not shifting on every single entry. Um, and uh, literally both of the times that Larson got dropped in this fight were because he would like f- 
they'd be um you know, you know he'd he'd be orthodox town child be southpaw and he would like faint a right kick and then step through to try and uh, get offense off in the new stance and town child would just take a small step back and suddenly Larson would be incredibly unsure of the range and he'd just get blasted with uh, a right hook around his guard followed by a left straight um and he was uh, as we said constantly getting body kicked really hard on exits just getting teeped while uh well, he was trying trying to enter and bouncing around way too much. Uh, got knocked the fuck out in the second round. Yeah, and what made the fight kind of more enjoyable is that it, like, Tomachai looked markedly smaller and, and had absolutely no physical disadvantage. He was stronger, his technique was better, he was faster, and and he, like, hit harder. There, there were, He had zero disadvantage, he just looked visibly a little bit smaller. Yeah, I, th- I think Tao and Chai is going to be a solid fighter at 70 kilos, and I think there's more interesting matchups uh, at this weight class, particularly if he wants to go over to kickboxing rules at all. And he's still young enough that he can grow into the division because he's looking a lot more muscular than, but you know, compared to when he was like 17 and fighting at 120 pounds, like obviously. Yeah, and he's like 23 now. He can still get huge. And yeah. just be at be one fifty five, no problem. No, I, th- I I I think there's there's a good chance that, that we're going to see that. But yeah, um, was not an interesting matchup. But if you just just want to see a generational striking talent, it's worth it for that. I love you, Talon Chai. So that's everything we wanted to talk about. As always, if you enjoyed this content and all of the other stuff the fight site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon. A pledge of just $3 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content. And then a pledge of $5 gains access to a Discord server where we have a great community, interesting fight fans from a variety of different backgrounds. We're constantly having great discussions, always getting together in voice chats to watch fights. It's always a good time. You should come, come hang out, support the fight site. This has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. You can catch us in just a couple of days where we're going to be breaking down uh, next weekend's UFC pay-per-view event. A headline between an absolutely insane a light heavyweight title fight with Glover Tashira defending the belt against uh, Jiri Prohaska. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko versus Tyler Santos. Joannis uh, Jacek versus Weili Zhang, the rematch. And some other stuff should be a good one we'll see you guys then peace later